Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. This is Inspired, a series where an artist invites someone who's influenced their creative lives to share the stories behind their connection. I'm Rogan Graham, and I'm a Barbican Young Programmer alum, film writer and journalist, and workshop facilitator. In this episode, I'm speaking to Susan Wakoma. Susan's television debut was at 14 years old as one of the eight children selected for CBBC's Serious Jungle. Susan then became a member of the National Youth Theatre. At 18, she landed her first professional acting role in the BAFTA award-winning That Summer Day. The following year, she started training at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Susan is known for her TV appearances in Truth Seekers, Crashing and Where I First Saw Her, as Cynthia in Michaela Cole's E4 comedy hit Chewing Gum, as well as in recent films like Enola Holmes. In 2017, she won the BAFTA Breakthrough Brit Award and was listed in Forbes magazine's 30 Under 30 Entertainment list. I invited Susan because her on-screen presence has always been a source of comfort for me, and knowing that she is a gifted writer and future director, and fellow South Londoner, I was thrilled to be able to pick her brain on her craft and future endeavours. She generously obliged. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi Susan. Hi Rogan. How are you? (laughs) I am well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So, um, so I first sort of came to you. In fact, your work sort of became like a little bit, you know, became a fan uh, through chewing gum, of course. And me and my uh, like school best friend at the time, we loved Cynthia because we went to an all-girls school, and not for, it wasn't a religious one, but were terrified of boys and of anything. And we were like, <laughs> she gets it, you know. She gets it. We like, yeah, and then I've sort of just kind of followed you uh, ever since, sort of thing. So yeah, just get that little bit of fan information out of the way. <laughs> Always welcome. Always welcome. Uh, how has your lockdown? Well, I mean, it's sort of over, is it? I mean, oh, how's your year been? I mean, to be honest, lockdown. Because I was filming. Uh, I was filming a TV show which then stopped because of lockdown. And then when lockdown two, lockdown two um, got announced, uh, we carried on. So for me, it feels completely different to the initial lockdown um, earlier in the summer. So, um, yeah, so things haven't really changed for me. Um, But, yeah, no, it's been a really strange year. Really, really strange. Um, the case for everybody and actually I was hosting co-hosting well guesting 
on uh, the Guilty Feminist podcast, which I sometimes co-host. We, it was our five-year anniversary yesterday. And um, I was talking about the thing that I have appreciated about this year, which is like a sentence that I always go, oh, please don't say, I've just like found inner peace because that's annoying. Um, but what I, but also like, well done if you have. But um, I, one of the things that I have appreciated this year is that you can have like a Zoom meeting or you know have some work to do and you can call whoever up and go do you know what I can't do that today because I'm just I'm not in a good place and I think that a year ago if you said that everyone would be like oh there's you've got problems mm-hmm. um but now everyone goes yeah I understand and I think yeah. that that is a really really good thing to be able to just have a universality of um I'm not in a good place that absolutely was good. yeah so yeah so that's been a good thing of this year but um but yeah it's been weird it's been weird sort of having projects come out and being sat on loads of zooms and and meetings just kind of promoting it but you know from the waist down being definitely in my pants oh yeah I'm completely done up here but then I'm like oh god you know the film is just amazing and then down here just like packets of crisps and and uh all my hopes and dreams on the floor. Um, so it's been weird that it's been a real duality, but like work-wise I've been probably as busy as I've always been, which is also combined with guilt. <laughs> yeah, no, but that, that's a good thing. You shouldn't feel guilty about having work. Like that's Ooh. one thing that always fascinated. I don't know, fascinated isn't the right word. Oh. Intrigued me about oh. you is because there are all these kind of stories, which I think are definitely like accurate, you know, to the people's experience of like, yeah. I couldn't do anything over here I had to run like you know you, you've not had to run away to, um, to the states well I, yeah. think, I, I think it's a couple of things I mean I did I think the biggest thing is because you can do a show here in the UK you know filming down the old Kent road and that can end up on Netflix like mm. in before streaming services you never had that if you had like a really successful series here in the UK if it got adapted into an American version, like The Office, for instance, that's how it sort of gains notoriety. Um, But you do three series and then it's done. But now, because you have all these co-productions, you can do, uh, you know, a series here that will have an international audience. That never used to be the case. So there's less reason to sort of make the pilgrimage over to to America, really. Um, So I think that's probably the biggest thing um, like for instance, Crazy Head, um, Crazy Head that I did, and Chewing Gum, they all, you know, Crazy Head was co-produced with Netflix, and Chewing Gum was acquired. But you know, that became a hit without ever having to go over and do, you know, yeah. promo in the states. So I think that that's the biggest thing. But also, I did go out and I did do a pilot season, and I just did, I, you know, it was sort of based on the first. So pilot season is um, a season of work. And normally at the beginning of the year in America where they make all these pilots just for people who don't know. And um, I, my first pilot season, I didn't go over. I did all my tapes from home um, because I was scared. I was really scared at being in this industry here, the confidence that I've had to acquire, the thick skin that I've had to acquire I didn't want to then go over to a completely different beast and be told, oh, you're amazing, but completely change. Like I'd mm. worked too hard in accepting myself and who I was um, and am and continue to evolve into. 
And I know that that has been not because I fit into a mold. It's, be, it's been because I don't. And I've had to, and there are some people who absolutely are interested in that and excited by that and people who just don't understand why I have a career. <laughs> so I was so scared of going over and being told, you know, the typical, you've got to lose weight or, um, or any of that. And I went over and I didn't enjoy it. I didn't, the main thing was pilot season is so, you get scripts one year um, when I taped from London and I tested for three shows. That means that I was sort of down to the last couple. And that was out without leaving, you know, South London. So I was like, brilliant, I can do this. Because um, essentially, you if I'm doing a film or a series in Bucharest, I'm going to go to Bucharest. Like, to go somewhere and work, is that's not what sort of irks me. It's the idea of having to, like, move all your life forever. But then the following year when I went out, I just didn't like any of the scripts. I just kept reading them going, would I ever would I ever spend five years of my life doing these? And I was like, I wouldn't do one year. That And that is just, that's not me being, you know, above myself. I was like, I just don't like them. So it's it's always about the quality of work. If the work is great, if the part is good, I will pack my belongings and hand in my passport. But so far, I've not really um, seen the right thing for me. It's really because you make such interesting choices. And um, I find myself watching things that you're in that I don't think I would usually, yeah. <laughs> I just wouldn't usually watch, honestly. It feels like at the minute when it comes to a lot of TV shows that either either feature black people or don't, or just want to kind of like interrogate race in some way, mm. it's very much like, okay, we're going to explain this in really simple terms. And it's not really about the story it's about kind of okay how do we uh show that we understand and it's like I don't really want to need I don't need to sit and watch that you know because I know and you're not telling me anything new and you it pissed me you've always kind of avoided that work and I don't know if that was conscious at all but I don't know I just look at stuff that's in the states and I think like I'm really glad that it's happening and people are working and black women and and, you know and then I'm like I don't want to see it yeah because I think it always comes down to who is the audience who is it being made for and a lot of those things can feel very heavy-handed um and as a black person you go oh well I know this I know this and so where's the entertainment like you know so I do I completely understand and I think that you know like any other person who's a young actor coming out of drama school or you know just putting themselves out there there wasn't a whole lot of choice to begin with Mm -hmm. You know, you do the work that you do. But I think that my taste has always been, I think, you know, loving comedy has helped a lot. Comedy sort of opened up to me because it's my taste. Like if I decide what I'm going to watch, I it's normally going to be a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I realised quite early the lack of limitations when it comes to comedy and what I could be and what I could do and what I could say. And then, of course, there's the other side of my brain that goes, okay, how can I make this comedic character um, real? How do I make sure that I'm making people laugh, but people see the heart in in her? And so I think I just feel more free. Whenever I read a lot of drama scripts, I just I find it so boring. I find it really, I'm just not that moved. It doesn't mean that I can't do drama. It doesn't mean that I don't want to. But I just feel like particularly for Black people in them, you're just going oh I've got the files sir 
or or you're doing legal speak or you're a therapist a black woman therapist oh god yeah, that's so prevalent dangly, dang, dangly earrings all, yeah. all the time like some ethnic beads and she's like yeah. let me help you progress your story along all the time and so I just I think the reason why I've avoided that is because um because of comedy from being very very honest I think it's I think it's that there was definitely a few things about a film that I did that came out this summer called Nola Holmes and I'm in a couple of scenes and one scene is with Henry Cavill and I basically tell Sherlock that he, the reason why he doesn't care about politics is because he's um, privileged to, to do so and it's so interesting because that scene sort of became like a meme and there was a mm. whole like I it saw it of, yeah and I honestly and I think this goes to show with show how I approach my work when I was filming it last year I I didn't read it going and this is the bit where the black here's the zinger I yeah I was like these are my lines um this mm. is what she believes it's what I believe it's what I believe yeah. about people. I was just going to say him. I was just going to do it. And I was going to go home. And Henry was lovely. with a really lovely day. And then when it sort of became this thing, I understood why it became this thing. For me, that isn't like a, a zingy thing. It's just mm. that. Like, yeah, people can afford to not care about politics. Like, done. So I just went, huh, interesting. And then there were a couple of friends of mine, because I've left Twitter, and a couple of friends of mine was like, oh, you know, there's some people saying that it's just basically the sort of, white guilt section of the film and how my character wasn't really developed or anything like that and I just thought well if you're not Millie Bobby Brown or Louis Partridge the two teens in the film you're there to serve Enola Holmes like there is such a thing as intentionally being a supporting character and that was my job in a YA book and people are like we want more of Edith which I thought was really lovely but I was like this is for teens like you know and hopefully other people will love it but sometimes as an actor you do just want to do your cameo you just want to do your bit and be a part of something wonderful and for it not to be political um that can be frustrating but it's also none of my business because I do understand exactly what I said about you know the therapist with the you know the dangly earrings and the Mm -hmm. Mm SMP. we do see that and we do go oh yeah okay here we go again but for me, that character wasn't here we go again, because how many black women do you see in big period movies, really? And she was fun and she spoke sense. And I was like, yeah, cool. Going back to comedy. So I've heard you talk a little bit about Nollywood, Nollywood films now. Yeah. So my background, so my mum's Irish and my dad's West Indian, he's from Dominica. Um, so Nollywood was just not, it's not like my friends, it's not in my pur- like in my purview and I really yeah. want to get into it. With Nollywood, so Nollywood, for people who don't know, Nollywood is, it's Nigerian movies, the Nigerian film industry, Hollywood, Nollywood, like Bollywood. And it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And I grew up watching, I think the first Nollywood film I saw was called, uh, it was called Aneka the pretty serpent or something like that it terrified the shit out of me it was so scary it's about this woman who and what I've learned is this was a very typical storyline of Nollywood films particularly in the 90s a woman who sort of turns up she wants to marry this man the man's mother is not happy about it so the mother-in-law and the daughter they don't like each other and it's all about you know she turns into a snake she's a devil or something like that so there's always themes of like um, marriage, uh, children, not being able to have children, evil spirits. That's kind of 
definitely in the 90s. And so um, I just found them really scary. <laughs> um, really tapped into, into like my Christian guilt as a child. But then as I grew up, and definitely as the film industries all over the world has um, evolved, Nigerian movies now have, you know, better budgets, better scripting. They have, you know, they're bona fide movie stars. Yeah. And, you know, Netflix Nigeria has just launched all of this stuff. So it's a huge, 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 huge business. It's not an area that I necessarily went, I have to conquer. But I definitely wanted to film in Nigeria. And so my first experience with that was... Uh, the adaptation of Half of the Yellow Sun, um, and so that was a that was a, a British production, but we shot out there, and then I did a film a couple of years ago called The Ghost in the House of Truth. Yeah, so I've had my experience of, of working out there, and as much as I can, kind of what I said before, in that you know you go where the work is. You know, I do love experiencing what film sets and TV sets are like in other countries. I think it's funny as well. You said. That- that they like terrified you because again I only see kind of distilled clips I mean that's because I only see because I haven't made the time to go and watch but I only sort of see the distilled clips you know why are you running you know that oh yeah 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 oh yeah they're very funny as well they're very very funny as well but like the ones that my mum were into were always the ones about like witches coming out to see the morality ones and they the graphics in those I mean, now I look back on them and go, wow, you were scared of that? But as a kid, just honestly the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. No, I really wanted to ask you about just growing up in South London. I love it. I'm I'm from Lewisham. Well, I'm from Broccoli in Lewisham. And I went away to uni in Nottingham. Uh, very white. Hated it. Came back. And I'm like, never leaving. I think so. Like, if I have to leave, go out of zone three maybe it's to go to an airport I I'm such a a homebody no I love South London and I think what I love about South London is it's I've just always felt I've never felt invisible there I've never felt uncomfortable there I've you know I've it's truly truly diverse I think and you know growing up you know my neighbours were Irish we had um, a Punjabi family next door that was just all I knew and so sort of going to other parts of London and indeed the UK was uh, weird for me. Really, really strange. I don't, I don't like being the only one in rooms. Obviously, then when I entered the industry, when I did, I was a lot of the time the only one in rooms. And I would meet other black actresses in the audition room, never on the job. You know, that, I think that's honestly why I love South East London, because it is truly, truly diverse in, in terms of us literally sitting, eating, together rather than you know east london we've got communities and then they just like put a pret in a massive building and you know loads of bankers yeah. and, like, or like loads of advertising people i'm like that's not real community smooth segue yeah, into yeah. <laughs> yeah. smooth segue into your experience at rada i'm really interested to hear about that i think I think for a lot of people, RADA was this destination that they really wanted to like get to. Whereas I discovered its existence not that long before I got in. <laughs> so it wasn't, so it wasn't this holy grail place. I didn't have too much atta- attachment to what it was and what it meant and who went there. My first year that I auditioned, I was 18 because that's what everyone did. And I, I could not manage my nerves 
for whatever reason, it didn't matter how much I'd prepared something, my nerves would always get the better, better of me. Um, and it culminated in, I went for an audition for uh, Guildhall with Balkan. And I was so nervous in my audition and I fluffed my lines. And I remember whoever it was, I can't remember who it was. Um, he said, he stopped me and he went, do you want to just come back next year? And I went, yes. And so I left. And normally you wait to hear like if you got to the next round. I just went home because I was like, I know that I haven't, so that's fine. And so I spent the, the next few months getting to grips with my nerves. I, I started, you know, breathing exercises. I discovered rescue remedy. I, you know, just did my best to, because I knew it wasn't about the acting and it wasn't about, you know, learning scripts it was about my nerves and so yeah and so the next year I, I got in and I got in quite quickly the process happened really quickly like I think within a month I did all my four auditions and was in and I was like brilliant um and so the first year particularly was so much fun we were a very it also depends on your year like your experience of, of Rada so my year was a very young year so I was 19 it was a lot of 18 year olds and so and a lot of people who were new to London so it really was like fame it, it was just like everyone's like my dreams are this big and I'm in London and we worked hard we partied hard and it was just joyous and messy and fantastic and I just I felt like I felt the joy of, of what I do. And then after that, it became quite difficult, it became really difficult. Um, second year at drama school is always known for being quite hard. It's the year where they sort of traditionally break you down, whatever that means. Um, but what I found was the constant sort of looking inwards and navel gazing of it. I really struggled with not because I'm a supremely you know selfless person who just doesn't you know look inwards positive but it just when you're looking inwards and everything about you is wrong so my voice and uh my back and my posture and my lungs I was like well I can't buy new lungs so what do you mean like I, I don't get it and there was this notion of going back to the thing about breaking down is about getting rid of your bad habits, which I believe there are certain things that if I don't have a good director or I don't have a director, I'll fall back on. And sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's not for a, a character. And what they were trying to do is they try and make you get rid of your bad habits so that you become like the neutral actor of which you can then build character on. My issue with that was who decided on this idea of neutral? Who decided, and it's and it's never ever going to be a black woman, is going to be the basis. It's 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 kind of like a, this play that I did, and they had um they had a audio description uh, script that was written out, and my director um went over the script, which a lot of directors don't, and she came to speak to me because I was the only person who was referred to by their colour and everybody else was not and 
audio description. So they say, so-and-so walks on the stage, she is black. Da, 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 da. And it's not that I am angry about being described by my colour. That's a fair point. But the fact that no one else was, it tells you that the idea is that the neutral of actor, the assumption of an actor is white. And, you know, at RADA, I don't think that that was racist. People weren't in the corner going, ha, 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 white people will take over the world. It was just this fed down notion of a relaxed, you know, posture is like this without any consideration genetically of what my lower back might do. Or do you know what I mean? And I found that hard and I didn't want to lose all of what I was. And so there was a bit of a back battle in my second year of going. Um, I don't, I feel like the things that make me me will actually serve me when I leave and start working as opposed to getting rid of every essence of who I am. Did you identify that like in the process or did you completely kind of surrender to, I need to be, you know, I need to be broken down? No, I fought it in the second year. Oh yeah, I would leave like classes. Not in a huff, but like if I knew there was bullshit going on, I would just politely get my bag and say, I've got Alexander Technique session and then just leave. Doesn't need to be, the thing is, there doesn't need to be a drama when you are opposed to something. The whole point of drama school is that they throw all these tools at you and you take what works and you leave what doesn't. Doesn't need to be, you know, every working as well, you meet actors and they have different processes I can't sit there and say that that's absolutely wrong if it works it works and I think sometimes at drama school students can get very impassioned as you know what is art and what is the process and it's different for everybody and yeah I discovered that and also discovered that it didn't need I didn't need to show everyone my homework if I didn't believe in something I just put it in the bin and so yeah that was my process of of drama school but I, I found the the constant focus on self um difficult yeah because yeah. I mean when you're talking about that idea of like neutral and who decides what's neutral I, I know you said like you didn't feel like anyone was kind of sitting in the corner you, you know being actively racist or actively <laughs> but no. there's a thing that like the passivity of it all or like just the assumption you know without like interrogating you know assuming there's one size fits all and that is so to me at times like that can that can be so aggressively racist when you don't even when it's not obviously it's not the same as being aggressively racist but the, the act of just not even considering anyone else okay here's a, a tangible tangible example of what I'm talking about um we were in Alexander Technique classes and that is um uh, classes which is about your posture and it's really, really amazing. It helps you have a bigger lung capacity, which is what you need when you're on stage and all of that. Um, and I was in a session and I, was, I think I was lying on my front and uh, the teacher who was holding the session kept saying, oh, you're holding a lot of tension in your lower back. And I was like, probably, I'm quite stressed. She was like, what you need is, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of doing that. It's like you're pushing out your lower back. What you need is it for it to be like that. And I was like, uh, that's my bum. This idea that I had to sort of make myself into a spoon. I was like, well, that's going to hurt. That's yeah. going to hurt after a while. How is that neutral if I'm in yeah. pain? That's not. Exactly. So yeah. it was yeah. things like that. that you did. And then I walk away because I'm 19, 20, thinking, oh, well, then I am pushing out my lower back. And why am I doing that? And then 
you realize that's just how I'm built. And so I have to learn the neutral for myself. And how, how do I, Susan, not hold tension in my body as opposed to trying to achieve something that isn't me? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm really interested in sort of activism. So your first TV appearance was Serious Jungle. Yeah, which... God. <laughs> Serious Jungle, then they did Serious Desert, and then they did Serious Arctic, and then I want to say they did another one, but I can't remember. I was obsessed with all of them. Um, I I did, and but then I would be too scared to do it, you know. So you did that, and then I know that you volunteered uh, refugee camps. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And I would just would like to hear you speak more about that. I mean, with Serious Jungle, I was thirteen, fourteen. I want to say, and um. Again, I I didn't want to be an actor then. Um, that wasn't something that I thought was for me. Um, not because I'd considered it, but because I hadn't considered it. I thought other people were actors. But I just saw, I, I, I used to enter a lot of competitions all the time as a kid. I would just, and I would win quite a few. Like, I remember once I sent off this slip and then I won like a bus pass for a, a month. And my dad was like, why? What? You win? I'm like, oh, brilliant. Like, I used to always just win stuff. Anyway, so this was another one of those. There was an advert on CBBC. I applied. And then before I know it, I'm on a plane going to Malaysia. I'd never been on a plane before. It was intense. It was intense. And so in terms of the animal conservation aspect of it, that was, I mean, I'd never, I think beyond a dog, I'd never been around animals. And that wasn't even like my dog because we weren't allowed animals. Like, it was just... 
the most ah uh, it it blew my mind it absolutely and it's sort of changed my life in that whenever I feel really um sort of navel gazing e I will just travel I will just take myself off somewhere um because it the idea of feeling very very small amongst you know jungles and animals like that makes me feel really comforted um and to be that age never had been on a plane didn't even own a passport until that show and you know there with a baby orangutan also called Susie um and trying to reintroduce it I know yeah they gave me one and they were like that's Susie so cute and um and trying to reintroduce them into the wild was just yeah that was a that was a, a crazy experience but then the other side of it that was weird was then it was a tv show so my experience of it and then the tv show that everybody watched was completely different because I was barely featured in the show and it was really odd because whilst I was on you know the expedition I felt you know I didn't feel awkward I felt looked after I felt funny and all the things that you know got me onto the show and then I realized when it came out I was like oh the the cult of tv personality nothing awful happened to me I didn't particularly miss home I was having such a good time um all the fitness stuff you know I was never I've never been a real thin person but I am fit so it was like Susan do you want to jump up that huge ledge and I just do it and they're like oh great you just could do that Generally, generally happy together kid and that's great in terms of the group but in terms of television it's not interesting and it was I remember one of my teachers um Miss Hall um is my design technology teacher who's white and she sat me down she's like it's it's really upsetting watching it I was in it but she was like it's just really upsetting because you know we've all known about it at school you know you had to miss I think I missed a month of school for it and then to watch it and not to see you featured because you don't fancy anyone or anything true to start. It just always happens with young black kids on TV. And when she said it, I was like, yeah, that's interesting that she, wow. you know, picked up on it. Yeah. Miss Hall, big up, big up Miss Hall. Yeah. So that was odd. And it's always made me feel a bit funny about um, reality TV. Actually, I, if I know that there's a, a, a black person or a black woman in the show, I, I get quite um, anxious. Like, are they being looked after? You know, are they, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it, that was an odd, ex, odd experience. Um, and then going to Calais, that was with uh, The Guilty Feminist, which is also joining that and meeting Deborah has changed my life. Um, I've never met somebody who, like the ethos of the guilty feminist is we are femi feminists, but we get things wrong, right? And, um, and this is an opportunity to talk about all those things that we get wrong and to learn and to grow. And I think now more than ever, that is so important because if you're so scared of getting something wrong, you won't try. And Deborah, you know, I think that <laughs> we laugh all the time. She's like, I'm the poster woman for like, white feminism <laughs> she knows it she knows it um but she's like you know but I have to show that I will enter these debates I will 
you know, put myself out there and get wrong and listen to criticism and take it on board because I can, because I've got the space, I've got the time, I've got the resources. And the fact that we try should be not enough, but it's a good thing that you try to learn. So we went out to, um, this is after the Calais jungle had been dismantled and we went out there because there are still refugees and there are still people working. Um, but morale was so low at that point. And so we went out to volunteer and then we put on a, a comedy gig for the workers. So this was something that wasn't recorded or anything. It was just for volunteers. One of the things that was amazing, we were in the info bus, which is where um, this bus turns up. I think it's once a week or twice a week. And refugees can charge their phones. They can send emails. They can get legal help with anything that they, that they have. And we were serving food and, and all of that. It started raining. So we were all under this um, uh, this tarpaulin, oh, right, marquee. And, uh, and I was there sort of getting rained on. And then one of the, uh, one of the guys, uh, one of the refugees, he just he sort of pushed me in, like into underneath me. And I was like, oh, thank you. Oh, no, I'm all right. He's like, no, your hair. And I was like, <laughs> it's a weave, but thank you. Um, that's cute. And then he went, and then the two of them came over and they're like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from, from London. <laughs> he went, no. <laughs> they went, no, where, where are you really from? Which <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh so much. I was like, oh my God, I'm in an Uber. This is crazy. Oh God. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, oh, um, Nigeria. And they all went, they all went, oh, Nigeria, bad place. <laughs> like <laughs> but you know what what I learned from that was you know there were all sorts of the volunteers in Calais were overwhelmingly white mm -hmm. and there's all sorts of reasons for that but I did feel that having someone like me there you, you know it it helps with the the dignity of refugees that they're not mm -hmm. It's not the perpetuated sort of white saviour thing. Yeah, and absolutely. So, it, you know, if you can do, I think, for people of colour and, and, and volunteering, because it just, having somebody who looks like you, I think always sort of makes you feel like you're not this other. And so that's definitely why I took from, from that experience. <laughs> I always wanted to like be a creative writer. I wanted to, I want to still be a screenwriter. And I feel like I'm at this place where I kind of fell into film criticism. Like an editor just was like, would you like to write for a magazine one day? And, and I was just like, yeah. And I just was like, said yes to everything that came to me. Mm. But now I'm kind of like, which is great. And I'm so happy with sort of how far I've come, especially after having a tough time at uni. Mm. But now I'm like, okay, well now I need to make an active choice. Okay. And I kind of wanted to use this to like pick your brain a little bit about writing. So you've written this film, mm -hmm. I believe, three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. Is an abortion comedy drama? Is that? Yeah. Kind of I haven't made it easy on myself. Yes, it is an abortion. That is a, that's a tall order. I just wanted to ask you, how did you, obviously you've read a lot of scripts and so on, but how did you kind of decide, okay, now is my time to write creatively to kind of veer from like the things I'm being offered and kind of make a choice to to do it you know myself um well quite similar to you I the offer came to me 
in terms of you know you getting the offer to go into film criticism I got given offered a commission which I felt very guilty about there's a theme with guilt I felt very guilty about because I felt no like in order to be a writer I've got to have trained and like studied at New York film school and do this and do that and blah blah and and so I felt really bad about it. But what happens when you are an actor and you start doing stuff that people enjoy um, is people make you offers of stuff that could be a dress or it could be, uh, you know, a, a TV series. <laughs> and so I started working um, on a, a pilot script, um, which uh, I wasn't crazy happy with but it opened doors to other commissions and my amazing literary agent and then I did BAFTA I got accepted onto BAFTA Breakthrough Brit and that's how I met um, um, EV8 at BBC Films and I pitched her this idea it isn't actually it wasn't actually a pitch I, I remember sitting down with her because I've had this idea and um, actually uh, the guys at Urban Myth films who did they produced crazy head uh they were really interested in this idea and so i told them uh about it which is the sort of early early version of three weeks and they said it was me howard overman um julian murphy um and they were like this is a this is a film and i was like what i don't write films i do tv this is weird and then I I remember them saying that and I explored different options with other TV production companies. And so when I went to go meet E.V. Yates, because it was very much in a kind of mentorship, that's what BAFTA Breakthrough Brit is. People don't know. It's when BAFTA select a group of um, actors, writers, composers, cast and direct, like across the whole board, video game um, designers. And you get like a sort of mentorship for a year and um BAFTA and so um uh I met Eva because I was like look I have been exploring tv comedy with writing but I have this idea and this is kind of like this is this is the thing that if it's the only thing I ever make I will be happy uh, and I, I think it's a film so can you just talk to me about how you get a film made so I wasn't pitching to her <laughs> I just Everyone keeps telling me it's so hard to make a film in the UK, but clearly people make films and that's your job. Yeah. So can you just explain? So she explained, you know, getting a producer on board and all of that. I'm writing down my notes. And then she said, what is your idea? And I went, oh, it's, and I told her the premise of three weeks. And then before I knew it, uh, I was in a kind of uh, bidding battle between BBC Films and Film 4. And I went with Eva. So, yeah, I definitely, my writing career has definitely been because people have gone, would you like to? And I know that that is based on the strength of my acting work. Um, and I've had to believe that that is enough. I've had to believe that I have read so many scripts <laughs> in my lifetime. I'm 30, I'm 32, about to be 33 soon. I've seen everything. And that I have to trust is enough to know at least what I think is good and what I think isn't. And so, you know, that process, to the, it feels like everything has happened in the last, I say, four years is when I've been writing for four years. Everything has led to the film. And then my short film, Love the Sinner, you know. I did that. Oh, thank you. We did, yeah. 
well that was that was you know a tv film it was a short film and they do it nearly every year where sky commission people to write shorts and so it's you know they do that it airs on sky we all go home but meeting jennifer sheridan who is the director we had really high ambitions for it and she did say you know should we you know enter the film into into festivals and do that circuit and so we did and it got in like all over the place and got long listed for biffa and to be a part of that world and uh it was just fantastic and meeting other female writers at um, london film festivals where it got in as well and having those conversations about you know directing what's going to be the next stage and all of that was again community like these are the things that i feel completely nourished by mm. and um yeah it it made me feel very confident and happy going into this film world it was nice to hear about that process because so, sometimes you don't always see it in yourself do you it's like you have these ideas and then you just kind of go well I don't know how to execute it so I guess it'll just stay it'll just stay that box <laughs> yeah. but like when you have when you have community you know and like people who actually value you um it is that just that bit easier you know my my whole career has been based on other people seeing something about me before I see it all of it like with acting that wasn't me I didn't go I want to be an actor it was other people going you should do it you should try it you're really good at it well you're really funny and me just going I'm just just whatever it was never anything about my glittering sparkling personality and I knew I knew I was destined I didn't I was just me and it was other people and that becomes difficult at somewhere like drama school because you're there now because other people told you that you're great now you have to believe it you have to do it yeah and that's a hard journey going what is it that people see about me what is it I don't get it why am I here I never wanted this of course I wanted it of course I wanted it because I'm still doing it and it's a really difficult um industry and I'm still here and I love it um but that is that's just the way that things have always happened for me. Um, and it was the same with writing. And so I thought, yeah, I might be good at this. I might be. Other people are telling me. Um, and writing is such a process and it isn't just about you. It's such a group effort. There's so many people who give their ideas and their opinions. There's so many, so many drafts. So, you know, nobody writes a first draft and, and then that first draft goes on screen ever. I need to think, I think I need to accept that that like yeah. because I I can you know the kind of perfectionist that is like well it's never going to be perfect so I won't do it and you're like that's not that is that laziness what is that no. <laughs> it'll never be and also with, yeah. with television and film it's made in the edit it's absolutely made in the edit you can film whatever the hell you want then you get into the edit suite that's where the film is made that's where the film is made yeah no absolutely yeah, I'm just seeing it as a massive like Martin Scorsese fan. It's like he wouldn't be who he is without Thelma. And he knows it. And he you know, knows and that's it. the thing. That's why I do love him because he knows it. And then yeah. I mean, personal bias coming through, and then Quentin Tarantino edited his most recent film himself. And you're like, well, there we are. Yep. <laughs> you need you need you, need you know, you do need community. You need community. You do. And that's yeah, that's another reason why I wanted to interview you because you don't at all when you've always kind of spoken about you know the people that helped you or the things that inspired you or you know things you were told and instead of being like well I was the first and I was the only uh you know and people 
and I think is a lot of women, a lot of black people do really take pleasure, I think, a lot of the time, sadly, in being the only one. Um, and you might get a bit of an ego boost from that, but that's really the way forward. Like you have to you have to forge. I, I remember going to um when I went to the States for pilot season and I remember meeting a casting director and they were very, very lovely, but they were just like, Oh my god, there's no one else like you. There's no one else like you. I just thought there's bear. There's loads back there, mate. That is an untapped resource, my love. Loads. I mean, obviously there's no one like me, but if we're talking about brilliant dark skinned black actresses, there's loads. There's loads. And I think that one of the things I, I, when I see other women killing it, I believe that it can happen to me. Like, that's what I believe. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, that is possible. Rather than thinking no one else has done this, I'm going to be the first. I think that that sort of competition with time is bollocks. Because if you're the first, that normally means that in about five years, somebody else because of what you've done is going to come along and do it better yeah as it should be because if you're not wanting a progression of the craft that you love why are you doing it like if do you know what I mean because you're not always going to get it like right just because it's the first doesn't mean it's that's it that's definitive kind of thing and also like I think that success I mean this is going to sound very sort of um and um, succession-y but um, <laughs> like success does corrupt and I think that the way that you stop that happening is the company that you keep your community um like I make sure that I have the friends who will message me and go you need to take that off Twitter go you need to take that off Twitter you need to just like speak to your therapist that's never happened but I've got friends who would absolutely do that and also in terms of you know I mean again I'm not a saint actually I'm a complete dickhead but I do believe in, you know, going about things with some kind of moral compass. And I mean, in terms of like the stuff that you create, I think more and more now um, there's, and actually there's been a long history of it, particularly with female writers. What you're writing about is autobiographical. We write about auto, we write about our lives and the men write about galaxies. And, and so I, I think that with that responsibility, you have to be careful, not even careful, that's the wrong word. You have to be respectful of what and how you go about your business, especially if you are using yourself, because that can be exploited. You can in turn end up exploiting other people. There's just a whole myriad of things that you need to bear in mind. And the way that you do that successfully is your community. So I wanted to ask one final question which is more of a recommendation I wanted to ask is there anything it could be a film book album whatever that you're really evangelical about that you just want everyone to listen to that you would recommend to me oh Oh my gosh um I would say I've do you know what I don't think I'm evangelical about anything I don't know what that means. I have a lot of loves of a lot of things, but I would say, okay, I would say uh, Patty Smith's autobiography, Just Kids. I sort of picked it up thinking, oh, I'll just read this. Oh, I was about to go to New York for the first time. And I know that, you know, it's all about her and all these artists living in Chelsea. And I was like, I'll read it. Like, That's cool. 
and I at that point I didn't really I think I was sort of more concerned not concerned but I felt like I was really overwhelmed with the business you know like who I should be when I walk into a casting you know how to make sure I present myself in a certain way and my natural kind of spirit wasn't chiming with that and I just needed to read somebody else's creative artistic journey somebody who was not ashamed of calling themselves an artist because I was definitely at that point at a stage where I wouldn't even call myself an actor if someone asked I would say that I was I did something else and I read that and I just loved reading somebody's artistic journey all the difficulties all the lumps and bumps the community that's all you know those guys were really about community collaboration I guess I'm a big massive hippie at heart but it just made me feel like it made me feel like an artist and being an artist was something that was possible and the and being excited about the people I would then go on to meet on that journey who those people would be how would they shape my life and I have read it several times. I think it's a book that ordinarily I would go, why would I read anything about Patty Smith? But um, I I really, really love it. And there was one particular thing in it where she said, she worked in a bookshop and she said at, by a certain age, she was going to stop working at that bookshop and never do any other work other than her art. And I was at a point where I was, considering giving up like my temping job which had saved me so many times but I remember my flatmate at the time saying you know I'd literally finish a job at the national and then I'd book up my shifts and she was like why are you doing this you don't need to do it you don't trust that you are now on the right path these many years out of drama school and it was actually reading that book that made me um quit my uh temping job and since then I've never done any other job um than acting writing that's good that's amazing yeah and that's like the big it's a big it's about me taking the leap and the and being brave and being an artist so yeah I think that I would advise that one that sounds beautiful and it's one of those things isn't it where things just come to you at the right time it's been lovely talking to you thank you so much Yay. so generous and so generous that's of your time that's okay thank you for having me That was my conversation with actor Susan Wakoma for this episode of Inspired on the Barbican podcast, Nothing Concrete. Next week, Barbican Young Poet alums Jeremiah Brown and Gabriel Akamo speak to actor Chope Durisu about heritage, diversity in theatre audiences and training. Stay tuned for more inspiring conversations by subscribing to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening. 